Welcome to Christian International's Teaching of the Week, a podcast where we dive into the best handpicked lessons from Christian International's vast library of sermons, lessons, and conferences. It's good to be here tonight. Uh, here we are at the, uh, the final session for the conference. Yeah, went by quickly, didn't it? It's like, it's just like we just got here. And uh, I'll try to keep you awake, praise God. We've all had a, a full time. And my assignment tonight in the schedule was to talk about seven mountains, and I'm not going to do that. If you want to know what I think about seven mountains, get my book. It's all in there. The other part of my assignment was to talk about millennials. I am going to do that in a few minutes. To me, this celebration was more about the future than the past. This is about where we're going, and we're building on a heritage that's moving us forward. And as I was thinking about that and and praying about what God wanted me to say tonight, he took me to Ezekiel 37. And probably most of you are preachers and you already know what the storyline is there. Ezekiel 37 is, of course, Ezekiel is a prophet and he's a prophet during the captivity. This part of Ezekiel, he's prophesying to the people about the returns, uh, returning to Israel. And that's the context that these prophecies come about. Now, it wasn't too long ago that Jane gave a message based on this passage as well. And uh, this probably out there somewhere. So I'm only stealing little bits of that. It's all in the family, yeah. So, but the Lord is speaking to me, and, and I got a little nervous this week because about three different times the speakers started talking about this, and I thought for sure they're going to take my message. Most of you don't remember anyway, so it's all right. We, uh, <laughs> this prophecy of Ezekiel, he has an open vision, and it's called the Valley of Dry Bones. And uh, let's look at it a little bit together. I'm not going to try to take too long because I want to do something else before we're done. Verse 1, verse 30, chapter 37 of Ezekiel. And the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley that was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them around, and behold, they were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And so I answered, O Lord, you know. I use this answer quite a bit with God itself. When he asks me stuff, I say, well, don't you know? I, you don't really need my input because I don't know. So that, that was the way he answered. And then the Lord responds in verse 4. And he said again to me, prophesy to these bones. Okay, first of all, that's pretty exciting already, right? Because how many of you have ever prophesied to something completely dead? <laughs> Not just dead, dry, dead and dry. And go, so... Just as a prophet, you know, that's already a big challenge. You can't read them. You're not going to cry. I mean, it's, it's a... <laughs> so he said, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Okay, another problem. Bones don't have ears. <laughs> but, but that's what God's telling them to do. How many have ever had God tell you to do something ridiculous? Yeah. He doesn't seem to care at all. Uh, <laughs> say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to, to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you. More problems, but we'll skip that. And, 
and you shall live. And I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you will live and you will know that I am the Lord. Well, Ezekiel does a good job. He's the very next verse. So I prophesied and I was, as I was commanded. And I prophesied and there was a noise. And the noise suddenly of, suddenly of a rattling. That word rattling also can be translated earthquake. So this wasn't like this bones, like a Halloween skeleton. This is like a big noise. And, and there was a noise and suddenly rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And indeed, I looked, and the sinews and the flesh came on them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. So I, I'm thinking about this, and so uh, this is where I'm stealing a little bit from Jane. So... You know, the bones rattling, you can talk about alignment, people coming together, right? That could be an image there. That When people come together, they make a lot of noise. So that could be where that's coming from. But sinews are about tying together, about linking up, causing you to work together. Flesh is the organs and the muscles, which gives it the power to move and to, to be. It indicates strength. So we have this alignment, working together with strength. And then skin, everybody knows skin is your major defense, is your, is your primary defense of your body, is what keeps things out of your body that you don't want. So this is, a, this is about wholeness, being whole and integrous. You could call this the 10 M's part, the defense of the body. So that's pretty cool already. How many liked it? It's pretty cool. The problem is there's no breath. Now this is, this is troubling to me because... God told him to prophesy. Listen to what he told him to prophesy to the dry bones. God, the Lord says to you, surely I will cause breath to enter into you. Then all the other things. And then at the end he says, and I will put breath in you and you will live. That did not happen, right? It says there was no breath. I'm not interpreting that, right? It, 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 the Lord's, it, the only thing he said twice in, in the word. You know, when he, the Lord starts repeating himself, it's for emphasis, not like us, we're just repeating ourselves. But when he repeats himself, it's for emphasis. And so he emphasizes the breath, and yet the breath didn't come. And I felt the Lord speaking to me that this is kind of where we're at now. And I, I didn't like that. I, I, I didn't like that interpretation at all. I, I argued quite a bit, actually. I never win those, but it just seems natural to do it. But we've been gathering, right? With a lot of noise. We've been linking up. Sinew to sinew. We've been putting flesh on it. We've been putting power and strength into people. We've been equipping them, right? We've been training them. We've been covering them, defending them, making them whole, giving them the integrity, the the skin being the integrity of the body. And yet the Lord's saying there's really not breath in it. Now this word breath, as you might probably know already, is ruach. And not to be confused with ruah, which is a different word. Ruach means the breath of God. It's the same word that God breathed into Adam, ruach, and caused his life to come. It's spiritual breath. It's, it's the spirit of God coming into us. It's not literal air coming in. It's, it's the spirit of God. So when it says that there is no breath in him, the spirit part seems to be missing. I said, we're not there. We have lots of spirit. How many think we do? You felt the spirit move already today and 
Worship was great, and yet that's what God seems to be saying to me. And I'm, frankly, a little confused. That happens from time to time. But that's what God said to me. And then he said, but don't stop there just because that's what I'm saying. Just go on. Now, before I go on, something occurred to me when I was doing this, looking at this, and God was speaking to me, and I was arguing. Something occurred to me that not too long ago, about 18 months ago, we had our 2016 Watchmen. We had Barbara Yoder and Cindy Jacobs and Dutch Sheets, and they were with us. And I was remembering, partly because Jane put it in her message, that they said some very interesting things. For instance, Barbara Yoder said, this is a time of birthing a new prophetic movement here at CI. The greatest year you've ever had and more miracles than ever before. Does that sound familiar? Cindy Jacobs at the same meeting, even though they, it was an interesting meeting because each speaker only came from one day. They were all on tight schedules. They would come in the night before, come in for their sessions, and leave. So they didn't have any chance to collaborate. This is all independent. Cindy Jacobs said, it's time for CI to, be, to go to a new prophetic level with power and authority, more miracles than we have ever seen. Then Dutch Sheets came and said, God is bringing a new prophetic mantle on CI. It will cause us to become wind people. He compared us to eagles that will lock into the wind of God and soar above the storms with greater authority as we enter into a new wind of God. So I was thinking about that. Bishop also declared at this meeting a second wave. He was in the waves instead of the wind, but same idea, a second wave of prophetic. And then the Lord took me back to Ezekiel. Because after the, there was no breath in them, so visualize, okay, the valley of dry bones, and then the bones start coming together, forming skeletons, I'm assuming. They start being fleshed out, and the skin comes on them. Now they look like regular folks, except they're all laying in the field, right? Isn't that what's happening? So they're equipped, they're ready, they're strong, they're, they're integrous, they have everything they need, they're just not moving, right? So then comes to verse 9. There was no breath in them. Verse 8, verse 9. And he said to me, meaning Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. That's Ruach again. Prophesy Nabai, or Naba, right? Prophesy, like we talk about. Prophesy to the breath. Isn't the breath God's spirit? It's the spirit of God. That's, isn't that what we just said? It's, it's the same word, Ruach. It means the spirit of God, the inspired Word of God, it can mean that. It means several different things, but it always means God's Spirit, His enlivening Spirit, like an Adam, coming into them. And here, he, here He's telling him, prophesy to my Spirit. Not only my Spirit, but the inspired Word that I already gave you. See that? The inspired Word. Prophesy, I think of it this way, prophesy to your prophecies. Right? Now, that's not all it means, but that, that's one way of looking at it. Prophesy. And then he says, he goes on to say, say prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, the ruach, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath. That word winds is the same word again, ruach. It's not something else. It's still the Spirit of God. Come, the four winds, O breath, and breathe on this, these slain 
that they may live. So he's saying, prophesy to the inspired words you have and say to them, come alive. Because up until now, it's been killing you. These, these were slain. These weren't random people that died. This was a group of people who were slain. That means they fought a battle and lost. Right? We sang about Jesus never losing a battle. What we didn't sing is we sometimes lose the battles. Right? We depend on him to win. Sometimes we don't win. Sometimes we don't do what we're supposed to. Sometimes we don't have enough faith. Whatever it is, whatever your interpretation of why that might happen, sometimes it happens. At least it feels that way, right? And so he's saying these were slain. These weren't just random deaths. These were slain. The whole company was slain like an army that lost the battle. And they're being re-equipped. And now he's saying, prophesy to what I inspired you with the last time. He could have said, wind, listen to the sound of power on my lips. That they may live. So Ezekiel does. He he prophesies exactly what God told him to do. And breath, ruach, came into them and they lived and stood up on their feet. See, up to that, they haven't been on their feet. Now they're on their feet. They're not just on their feet, but now they're on their feet as an exceeding great army. Great army. Just think about that for a minute. The ruach, the, the voice of God, the spirit of God, the enlivening voice, breath of God, also is translated the violent exhale of courage, like a roar cry. It can also mean the Holy Spirit itself empowering something. It also is translated as prophecy, of course, but it's also translated as imparting a warlike energy and power of endowing men with spiritual gifts. Prophesy to the breath of God, the Ruach, the inspired words he's given you, those things that he's equipped you with, the warlike energy he's made for you, prophesy to that, and it will bring not only life, but a stand-up anointing that will make you into an army. Not a mob, not a congregation. That word army there is sheel. It's, it, it's usually interpreted army, but it also means strength. It also means wealth. It's interpreted as riches, strength, strong. We hope that you have been enjoying this installment of the Teaching of the Week. This session was recorded during our 2017 International Gathering of Apostles and Prophets Conference. I wanted to let you know that we have another conference coming up in February from the 19th to the 22nd that is going to be an incredible time of encounter and impartation. It is the Watchman Leadership Summit, and the theme is unshakable. For more information on this, you can visit our website at christianinternational.com. We invite you to join us in person to experience a Christian International Conference firsthand. We'll see you there. So here's what's happening. He's prophesied. The word of God has come. All the bones have come together. They've been equipped and covered and defended and prepared, except they're not moving the way they need to yet, or at all. And as much as I didn't like the idea, that's where we're at now. We've been equipping, preparing, making strong, putting together, assembling together, 
all those people who we want to be an army. So we're in the next phase. We're in the next phase. That, that's what this week's been about, I'm telling you. We're in the next wind. A second wind. You know when you need a second wind? When you run out of breath. When you run out of breath, when the breath is expelled and you don't know where the next breath's coming from, you need a second wind, and that second wind is here, and here's how it works. You prophesy to the first wind, and you say, come alive, come alive, and empower me to stand up like an army. How do you stand up like an army? Do you know? It's one of those things we talk about all the time. I have a message about the army of the Lord, but I don't have time for that tonight. But let me just tell you one thing that comes out of it. When you are an army, when you join the army, it's, you, we say you become part of the service, right? When you meet a veteran, you say, thank you for your service. A person in the army is called a serviceman, right? Because when you're a soldier, you're a servant who's willing to lay down your life. Not just a regular servant, a special servant who's willing to lay down your life so you are a servant. You're called to service. We even call our gatherings services, don't we? Because we're here to serve. Really? Is that why people come to your church? Or do they come to be aligned and equipped and empowered and covered, but are they coming to serve? Because once they're fully fleshed out and fully covered in skin, there has to be a new charge, a new enlivenment, a new prophecy to the breath, to the ruach, to the inspiration, the power, the spirit of God, to say, come again, let, let the four winds blow on us, so that we are not only prepared, but we rise up as an army. Because an army doesn't work like a group. It has purpose. It has mission. An army never fights on its own soil, because that's called civil war or invasion. If you're an army, your purpose is to invade the enemy. An army is offensive by nature. If you're on defense, you're losing. If we want to see territory taken, we have to put boots on the ground. And when our congregations come and all they get is equipped and they never become alive to their purpose, then they're just bodies looking good, laying around. The second wind is a wind that charges us, where we start prophesying and saying, God, you said. You said in the last prophecy, the breath was coming, that we would be alive. The breath was coming, we would be alive. Now we say, breath come, make us alive. Stand us up like an army so that we can execute your judgment in the world. Seven mountains, I said I wasn't going to talk about that, but... That's what we're about. We talk about apostolic and prophetic. This is the prophetic side. Apostolic is what? Sent ones. So if you want a truly apostolic center, 
it should be sending. You never send ambassadors to your own country. You don't deploy troops to domestic issues. You send to the enemy to conquer, to transform. I believe that we're coming into that next wave, that next level, that second wind. You've been hearing us talk about, all different kinds of speakers talking about, what has God already said? Do you believe it? Can you accept it? Can you charge it? He's saying, prophesy to my word. Prophesy to my spirit. Speak life and breath into those people you've been equipping so that they are sent ones with the word of God in their mouth. Like an army. Because we are here to take territory. And everything we've done in the prophetic since the prophetic movement began, I believe, is in preparation for this day. We've been equipping a bunch of people. We've been putting flesh on them and skin and getting them ready. They look good. They've been practicing. They, they're ready to go. But now we need to say, rise up like an army. We need to go to battle. And of course, the problem is, weren't we slain last time? Weren't we? They were. And yet the breath of God comes, the Ruach. And the Nabi says, come alive. Everything you had purpose to be and do, come alive. Everything that failed in the last season, come alive. Every place you walked and didn't make it, come alive. Every door that didn't open, come alive. Army, arise, arise in this day. Come alive. Let the Spirit come upon you. Let the breath of God flow over you. Come alive in this day. It's the second wind. It's the second wind of the prophetic. It's coming alive right now. Prophesy to the Spirit. Prophesy to the Word. Prophesy to your destiny. Come alive. Come alive. Come alive. We are the army of God. Right now I declare it. The second wind is blowing. I prophesy, come alive. Ruach. I speak to it. Be alive. Be alive. Every defeat, be a victory. Let destiny and purpose go forth like an army to conquer territory in the name of Jesus. You may be seated. I believe this message. I feel it. If I can feel it, everybody can feel it. Here's where I think it's most poignant to me. The emerging generation. As much as we want life, and we will, we want it. We want to enliven the next generation. We don't want them to ever be dry bones. We want them to fight battles and have victories right now. So to talk about the future, we have to see the future. So I'm inviting two of my millennial people to come and enliven you (laughs) by the word of the Lord 
And I'm going to start with Rebecca, Rebecca Francis. Rebecca is on staff here at Christian International with her husband, Jermaine. She's one of the highlights of the millennial generation. She's what millennials ought to be. Because she's taking what God's put inside her and enlivening destiny all around her. Well... Well, first of all, y'all are very lively for a last night crowd. Give yourselves a hand. <laughs> I, uh, well, I just cried, but I'm just going to warn you that every time I've gone over this message in my head, I have cried. And that's not my usual style at all. Pastor Jane can tell you, Nancy can tell you, Dana, everyone here who knows me, I'm exuberant and exciting and a lot of fun to listen to, at least I think I am. So I hope you think you are. I mean, you think I am, <laughs> whatever. But bear with me. But first of all, I just want to say it's an incredible honor to be the 50th speaker at the 50th celebration. <laughs> just kidding, I'm the 40th. <laughs> I did the math. <laughs> I want to start by telling you a story, and this is the part where if I get through it, you'll see no tears for the rest of it. Well, you already did, but, you know, I won't lie to you. But So early this year, I began to pray and ask the Lord. Well, first, it's something always has to prompt me praying and asking the Lord to do something in my heart. So I prayed and asked the Lord to soften my heart toward the body of Christ. And what prompted that was awareness of lack of softness when I got mad <laughs> at certain things that sometimes I might see happen. And so I prayed and asked the Lord to soften my heart and kind of prayed routinely and constantly, kind of declared some scriptures about that. And God is so good. He answers prayers, <laughs> even when you don't know what you're praying. And so I'm going to tell you about a particular picture that circulated the internet that I'm not going to give you any details about, because if I give you the details, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But I'll just tell you the vagueness of it to give you the, the idea. So there's a picture by a very famed uh, ministry in the United States. The pastor of that ministry posted a picture on Instagram of a, of a person in his church, and the person was sitting there and had some objects that, with him that do not belong in church and really don't belong with any Christian or believer. And so that picture went out and circulated the internet and blog articles were written about the church and things were, opinions were formed and, and I had an opinion. It wasn't harsh, but it wasn't excited either. I mean, I just kind of had an idea about it, but it was in the back of my mind. And I heard the story of that picture and that's where I'm going to cry. For the first time about a month ago, it was a picture of the day that a man got saved. A picture of the very second that he got saved of the altar call that was held when he, when the minister said, if you'd like to accept Jesus, raise your hand. And he raised his hand. And, you know, the picture looks so worshipful, you know, but it looks so wrong because there's things in the picture that don't belong there. And the man's looking to heaven, raising his hand, and there's stuff. <laughs> and, but it's the very, the very second that he got saved. And when I found that out, I cried. <laughs> as you might see. <laughs> but not just, I didn't just cry. I thought, I felt inside me, God, you soften my heart. 
You broke my heart in the place that I had the strongest opinion about something else or someone else from a distance. Because I don't know about y'all, but does anybody remember when you got saved? I remember when I got saved. This will be fun. I got saved when I was four years old, and I have a lot of pictures of it in my head because it, it was memorable. So when I was four years old and I got saved, I remember the auditorium. Someone, some kind of musician had come into town, Mylon Lefever and people like that. Oh, I had a feeling somebody might know who that was. And my parents were big fans and went and heard. And, and so, I, so there was an altar call, and I ran down and got saved. And I remember everything about it was the most wonderful thing. But one of the things I actually remember the most was being four, so I was little. So I'm holding hands with the person next to me like this and looking down because we're bowing our heads. And the two men on either side of me were wearing um, dress shoes, but one's dress shoes were real clean and shiny, and one's had like sand and they were kind of dirty. And the whole prayer, like this, I just wanted so bad to reach down and brush off his shoes <laughs> so they would both be clean. And so, but, and so I remember that, but I remember the most wonderful feeling. And actually after that, I would go down and I would get saved every Sunday in my church after that because it was so wonderful to me and I loved it so much. I, I, I just loved Jesus so much. I, I loved the experience and I wanted to be saved. So I wanted to keep doing it. And my parents sat me down and tried to explain to a four-year-old that you only do it once. And that was so sad to me. I was like, why not? Why not do it every day? We should do this every day because it was the most wonderful thing that ever happened to me. And so this picture that promise you, I know I left it vague, but if I said any detail, if I told you the state the church was in, you would know what church I was talking about. But this picture that garnered so much resistance, not from everybody else, but from somewhere hidden in my heart, myself, was the moment that a man went from death to life. The moment that a man went from eternal darkness to eternal presence of the Lord, the moment that he was snatched, he was a, a world, I don't remember what war, he was a, a war veteran who was homeless, who was an alcoholic, who was a ravaged and devastated life. I don't know the details before or the details after. Hopefully his life was tr truly transformed like we know salvation was, but that picture caught the very second that, his, that he came alive. Like, I don't know the theology, but right, whatever happens in your spirit, sorry, Bishop, I don't know what they call it, but whatever happens when you come, when you get saved, Regeneration, thank you, that's the word I was looking for. The very moment that his spirit was regenerated, the very moment, like, gosh, if somebody had a picture of that for me, I would, gosh, you know, if, if there was a picture of the moment he got saved. And if the whole world looked at a picture of the moment you got saved. And when I was a little girl, I was a bit of a thief. <laughs> so... <laughs> I didn't know that I was a thief. I just knew my mom would never buy me certs, and I wanted them, the little mints. And I figured out, because I was sitting in the, car, the, the grocery cart where you put your legs through, I figured out that when she's loading the groceries, that I could reach over and grab the certs and hold them beside me. I can remember this. And hold them beside me. And as soon as she put the first bag in the cart, I could reach back and drop the certs into the plastic bag. And I would have certs when I got home. My favorite were the green ones. So, so as, a, as a toddler, I was a thief. And so, so, so the day I got saved, if you could see my thief, it would be in the picture. You know what I'm saying? So 
That's not my point. It's not about salvation. I'm just telling you that I prayed a desperate prayer to God to soften my heart to the body of Christ, and He did. <laughs> he certainly did, but He did it by breaking my heart for wherever I had a resistance that that caused. A, 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 I don't want to say this word because it's so overused in our culture, but a judgment. And Dr. Melody Hilton, who's sitting right there, says it like this. She says that opinion without truth is prejudice. Prophet Bill Ackie says it like this. How can we think anything of a person other than what the Holy Spirit thinks of them? That's a high standard. <laughs> That's pretty unattainable. So, Well, maybe not unattainable. So I want to read you this scripture that, that touched my heart. Freedom means that we become so completely free of our self-indulgence that we become servants of one another, expressing love in all we do. That's Galatians 5.13 in the Passion Translation. Isn't that beautiful? So completely free of our self-indulgence. Well, for me, self-indulgence could be my opinion, because I'm opinionated, okay, <laughs> typically. James 1.19 says, My dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Be, oh, this is what I want to get to. Be quick to listen, but slow to speak. So what I want to submit is that understanding prior to opinion is a way to serve, is a real way to love. And, and the easiest way to understand is to listen. You know that picture? They say a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, in this case, it was worth a lot of lies, you know? And so hearing the story of the picture was my way of, of listening and understanding and, and letting that soften my heart. Now, please, I'm not saying anything about to condone whatever was in it, if you know what picture I'm talking about. I'm just talking about the standing back with opinion first. And so a famous man whose name I can't pronounce, so Google the quote and look it up, said, um, being heard is so close to the feeling of being loved that most people can't tell the difference. So to simply hear and understand is serving, is loving. And so as I prayed for the Lord to break my heart, I didn't pray for him to break my heart, I prayed for him to soften my heart, but he did it by breaking it. <laughs> but as I prayed for the Lord to soften my heart, and as I pray that our, all our hearts will continually be as soft as possible, the ability to hear and understand while withholding opinion I believe is a real powerful way to do it. And it's something that I've seen demonstrated, and if you're part of this ministry, you've seen demonstrated from Bishop, you've seen demonstrated from our regional leaders, from Dr. Tim, from Prophet Bill, from Apostle Gail, from Pastors Tom and Jane. I have sat in so many conversations, most of them my own, where I've spouted my own opinion or heard someone talking all about their opinion and never been told that someone else in, had a different opinion. You know what I'm saying? They just graciously understand and graciously watch and wait, and they know you'll grow, right? They know. And so, and so six years later, when you grow, you realize, oh, they, they, they just let me grow. They didn't tell me, hey, dummy, <laughs> in case you didn't know. And so I've actually learned, I've learned from what I've been instructed, but I came to realize this year that I've learned a lot from what wasn't said. I've learned a lot from my leaders withholding opinion but allowing room to grow. I don't know if that makes sense. And I don't mean withholding truth or Bible or, or, or standard or righteousness. I, so I hope you can hear the difference. I'm not sure how to describe the difference exactly. But that ability to withhold, and it kind of looks like this to me. When Apostle Gales stood up and he introduced the regional leaders, he said, I'd just like to ask you to hold your applause to the end. 
And every name of a regional leader that was said when we did not applause did not mean we did not believe and stand with an applause for them. Our hearts are united with them. We applaud them. We're in agreement. But we waited until the better time to applaud, right? So it never devalued the, the reality of that applause that we withheld it until the better time. And that's what I'm kind of learning. And I'm, I dare say our generation can't hear anyone that doesn't first hear them. And that's a little selfish, but we can't <laughs> hear when, when we don't feel heard. And so what I'm learning is that to just withhold, you guys, if you know me, you have to know this is a challenge for me, to withhold my thoughts on something. <laughs> it is a remarkable challenge. And I have been... My husband, has, I have been pointing out to him almost daily, did you see how a minute ago I did not say what I thought? <laughs> did you, can you please, did you see it? And then he's like, yes, dear, good job. <laughs> uh, so it's been a remarkable challenge, but I just want to suggest that part of serving includes hearing, just hearing prior to speaking, or I don't even mean speaking, but to having an opinion. And for me, I didn't have, you know what, my opinion about the picture, for example, didn't matter, because that's not my church. That's not my, I'm not, this, it doesn't matter. But I still had one, you know what I'm saying? And I think that sometimes we can fall into that. But whatever the case of where it applies in our own life, to hear is a way to love. To listen for a desire for understanding is love and is serving. In fact, I read a leadership manual that said, listening is loving, and listening is leading. Therefore, leading isn't leading without loving. So, I don't, anyway, I don't, know if that, I don't think I said it right. Never mind. But leading, it has to include listening and loving in order to truly be leadership. And so that's the walk in my heart, and that's what I wanted to share with you. And I'm sorry that I cried, but I hope that you cried too, or at least that you laughed when I said something funny. All right. Actually... <laughs> Before I go, before I go, I'd like to minister to someone. I'd like to, is that Becca? Okay, I was, are you Becca in the blonde hair? And I picked you out before I realized it was you. So, so Becca Thiel, am I saying your last name right? Yeah, and your husband? Would, can I minister to you too? I only very loosely know them, <laughs> as you can see. Becca and husband, I hear the Lord saying that you've walked through a process where you have felt much more inside of you stirring than you felt you had the capacity to communicate or release or even understand yourself. And it felt like a yarn ball that had to be sorted out. But the Lord says, son and daughter, I am causing my spirit to work inside of you. And I'm causing determination to rise up on the inside of you. That the Lord says, even before you have the answer, even before you have the clarity, that the faith that's in your heart, God says, I'm quickening that. And you're going to step up to the plate and take the next step, even before the ball of yarn comes undone for all the clarity. But the Lord says, as you do, you're going to see my faithful hand for you and for your family, my faithful hand to answer the promises I've given you. And the Lord says, the very things that you laid aside so that you could accomplish something this year that was very specific, the Lord says, son and daughter, I'm going to complete that work now and bring back up that which was laid aside because the Lord says, I've got a, a thrust behind you. The wind of my spirit, like was spoken tonight, is coming behind you to bring bring life and to cause it an arising and an equipping to all the vision that's inside of you, says the Lord. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Rebecca.
As you can tell, one of Rebecca's high qualities is thoughtfulness. And uh, this is David Fang, and one of his high qualities is courage. And uh, you can know that because he often travels with Bishop. And so, so I'm going to let David share with you as well. Bishop, you're the real MVP. I just want you to know. You're the real one. All right, well, if somebody took a snapshot of my salvation moment, it was at a Christian. Can you still see me if I lift this? Can you oh, five foot six. We got, we got to consider those things. <laughs> uh, but if you took a picture of mine, I would be at a Christmas nativity play. And uh, when they did the altar call, I actually didn't really want to do it, but my mother and father convicted me so much that I decided to go up there. And I, I went up there, and the angel Michael led me in the sinner's prayer. So I don't know what the theology is on that, but... It happened, so I'm saved. I, I might need to get prayed for again, but we'll see. Before I get started uh, with what I wanted to share, which was leading an emerging generation, I wanted to share with you a status update that I read or I wrote at the beginning of this week on Facebook. It's a social media platform. Okay. <laughs> Just got to clarify sometimes. All right. I wrote, hundreds of my friends from all over the world are coming to visit me next week. I'm so excited I could pass out. Oh, and I guess if they have time, they will be here for the International Gathering of Apostles and Prophets Conference. This tells you two things about me. One, that you are all my friends. Okay? Friends cheer for each other. I'm just saying. I'm just putting that out there. And two, I'm situationally unaware sometimes. Okay? But when Dr. Tim asked Rebecca and I to be able to share, it was very interesting because Rebecca and I came up together through Ministry Training College. We joined staff about the same time. What was interesting was that we actually were guests on a pilot episode when Christian International was trying to move into television. And I remember we kind of fist bumped at the beginning of that, like, we made it. Like, move over Benny Hinn, move over Joel Osteen. We cometh, right? So we had like the billionaire walk coming in. We're like, we own this place. 10, 11 years later, we didn't fist bump. We realized humility is very key to promotion. So, so that's the first lesson. But when we talked about servanthood leadership, I was like, God, what am I going to say that has not already been said a thousand times? Because it's not that we, anybody disagrees that servanthood leadership is the way to go. The question is, why is it that we believe in it so much and yet we so, see so little of it inside of an environment that we live in? What's really worse is that corporate America has adopted servanthood leadership decades ago. And the most innovative companies all around the world are incorporating servanthood leadership, a biblical principle, into their everyday practice. And that's why they're succeeding. And yet inside of the body of Christ, we are in a position where we're still trying to compare who has the biggest congregation, who has the biggest person, who has the biggest ministry, the best childhood ministry, all of these different things, that we lose sight of the fact that it is not what we have done, it is not what we've accomplished, but it is the people that we have impacted that will then in turn impact people. This is one of the craziest things. Yeah. Thank you, friends. I appreciate that. Appreciate that. So this is something that I've been wrestling with. Why is it? Why are we not adopting it? And let me just settle this argument right now about who has the biggest church. The person who has the biggest church has over 95 million people in their congregation. Oh, I know some of you are impressed. You're like, what? What child program is that? What curriculum are they running? Right? Do they use ProPresenter or PowerPoint? Like, what is that? The reality is, is that I think that one of the main people that disciples 95 million people online every single day. This person ministers to them every single day. 
and people listen to him every single day. How many pastors wish you would just, they would just listen for 30 minutes on Sunday, right? You're, this person that I looked on on Instagram, disciples 95 million people, his name is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So the only reason why I'm doing this is because while many of us, many people out there, not in here because we're a different breed, but many people out there are trying to gauge success and victory on metrics that are far outdated. We're talking about who has a five and 10,000 person congregation when the rest of the world is looking in the millions and the tens of millions. And so what happens is when we have an incorrect metric for success and victory, we begin to fight a warfare that the rest of the world has moved on from. And so then we could begin to come in behind the curve, right? Here's another example of this is Hollywood, right? Everybody, we're really excited when, we're, when the church is impacting Hollywood. We get a movie. We get facing the giants. This is really good. This is awesome. But how many of you know that the metrics have changed for success? Hollywood is hemorrhaging money and figuring out how it's going to be viable in the next 10 years. So if the church is gauging success by how many Christian movies we can produce, by the time we get there, the rest of the world is onto YouTube, is onto Netflix, is onto Hulu. They've looked in a completely different place. And while we have taken this mountain, it is a mountain that is no longer viable for success and impacting lives. So we have to understand the right metric for success. And the right metric for success is people. It is you sitting in that chair talking to me when I am tired and exhausted after four days of conference. It is you coming up to me and saying, I see the smile on your face. I see that you're tired, but I want to encourage you. Keep going. It's almost done. It is gauging success by a proper measure that has eternal significance and impact. So I was kind of looking back and I was, I was looking at the story and I said, this is interesting because I was reading in, in 2 Samuel where it talks about the mighty men of valor of David, right? I love that chapter because it makes everything so epic, right? Like there's this one dude who like went down into a snowdrift and killed a lion. Like, why did you kill a lion? Was he bothering you? What was happening? But it sounds so cool, right? You're like, what is this? Killing a lion in the snow. What's a lion doing in the snow? So it's a lot of these things. <laughs> but there was this one moment where David expresses thirst and three men go through impossible odds to get this man a drink of water. Contrast this to Saul and his armies facing against Goliath and not one man will stand to face one enemy. What is the difference in their leadership style? How can you have an entire army that has sworn allegiance to you and not one has the courage to fight? And yet this one guy who's thirsty has a person battling an army to get him a drink of water. What is the difference? And the difference is servanthood leadership. Thank you, friends. Appreciate that. Here is the crazy thing. Saul failed because he was so involved in his image and his success. What is my image to the rest of the world? What will the people think if I wait an extra day for the prophet to come? They'll think I'm weak. They'll think I'm not capable as a leader. I need to do something. It was centrally focused. And yet when David came up, and at first, everybody thought he was some prideful little squirt of a kid. Who does he think he is? He has no idea or context. But something happened when he got up there and he faced off against a giant. It was a young boy 
who looked to the armies of Israel and said, I will fight for you. He became a champion in a day. He became someone who said, I don't care if I die on this battlefield, I am going to not only represent God, but I'm going to represent each and every single one of you. And what happened was that when he broke through, the armies rose up in courage. They rose up in passion and boldness, and they overtook the enemy. So when people poo-poo on servanthood leadership, I'm saying if it worked for David, it will sure work for you. So I'm looking at this thing, and I'm noticing this, and I realize that not only has David fought for his people before they even became his people, and when he did, in their minds and in their hearts, they changed allegiances. So this is what I'm talking about with the emerging generation, is there is a generation of young men and women, millennials, that are serving a master because they feel they have no choice. They are serving a world system that has told them, this is how you're going to live, this is how you're going to operate, this is how you're going to behave, you're going to be a sheep for the rest of your life. And God is saying, where is my David within the church? That says, I will fight for you. I will fight for you and show you there is a different reality than the one that you have been embracing and told to believe. So when people see the impossibility and they say these negative things about the millennials, I'm saying, nah, son, you don't even understand what's happening. God is setting you up for the biggest victory and transference of a generation you've ever seen in a lifetime. I'm freaking out because here's the thing, is while the world is saying negativity, negativity, that you're greedy, you're selfish, that you're self-absorbed, that you can't keep a job, that you're just so self-centered, there can be a prophetic Davidic generation that says, the Lord says, prophesying to the bones, saying, rise up and live, and in the midst of this, an army will arise. So it's an opportunity. This is a chance that only comes once in a lifetime. This is the fruition of all of the calls, all of the prayer movements, all of the prayers of centuries of people. This is what Bishop Hammond has fought for. When it wasn't popular, he stood up there and he said, I will fight for you. He's fought for you, he's fought for you, and he's fought for you. And so for me, I take that as a charge and I say, I will rise up in courage, I will rise up in strength, and I will go after the enemy, and I will take back this generation. Right? So I want to leave you with one key, because I like getting people hyped because they're crunked, but I always hated it in, like, Sunday service where they told you what you should be doing, but then didn't tell you how. And I was like, but wait! Don't close prayer. Tell me what I need to do. And then I just wander around aimlessly and steal mints from the grocery store like Rebecca. <laughs> but here's the thing is I want to give just one key, just one key. Well, actually two. First one, take Apostle Leon, Bishop Hammond, Apostles Tom and Jane, Prophets Bill Lackey, all of our leadership, put their life under a microscope, and you will see a pattern of what it is to be a servant leader. That's the first thing. I've had a chance to be able to put it under a microscope for over a decade. And I will tell you the truth, there is, there is such a wealth of knowledge and wisdom and understanding that I, I can't even begin to describe. I tell everybody I hit the lottery showing up here at CI. You can have your fancy Bible schools. 
You can have your hundreds of thousands of students, but I've got an education here that nobody can put a price tag on. Second key is transparency in the midst of your pain. I believe, and I, I kind of like look at it from a different perspective, is because I've been in churches my whole life, and how many of you know a secret does not stay a secret in church? Stuff gets around, right? Like, if, my, if, if I had like a loose shoelace right here and somebody here noticed it, it would be by the other side within 15 seconds. Faster than the speed of light, right over. Word gets around, right? So David is being persecuted by Saul. How many of you think that that was a secret? Uh, don't you think the halls were full of, man, Saul hates David. He can't catch a break. Look at this. He's getting thrown spears and stuff and all of these different things. This dude is getting abused. And yet what do they see? Saul, my beloved, my father, in the midst of his pain, he honored that which God had sent to perfect the king within him. There's no hiding his pain from the rest of Israel. They see the abuse. They see the mistreatment. They see it, but they see their, his response. I am a firm believer in the fact that the reason why they were so loyal to David was because of his devotion and his willingness to honor in the midst of his pain and not let go of the mission. So for me, it was one key to reach a millennial generation. Do not hide the pain of your process with us. Don't hide it. Allow us to see it so that we can gain courage and have a target to aim for, saying if they have overcome this and had the right heart to love regardless and in spite of the pain, I can do this too, to empower a new generation. So I just want to pray for you. Can I do that? Friends pray for each other, right? Okay, very good. Father, I just decree and declare over each and every one here that they are a David that is prophesying. I will fight for this generation. I will fight for the promise and I will prophesy to the dry bones so that the bones may rise up as a mighty army. So Father, we bless it now in Jesus' name. Amen. We've assembled uh, a group of millennials here at CI that are working together and reaching out to their generation and to all. They'd like to thank to all generations. They don't want to serve their own generation, but all of us. And we call it the REACH Initiative. And I'm going to invite the ones who have volunteered. I volunteered them, I think, to come out. Where's the teams? Come on down. And what we're going to do, because I wanted, I wanted to end with them, because they're, there's our future. These are the people who are going to be around when we're not. So I've asked them to form teams, and they're going to tell you what they're feeling inclined to be and do as part of their team, and then we're going to let them come down and minister to you, okay? Okay, so everybody understand? What do you want? Okay. I gave them discretionary authority. It's their time, their ministers, they're doing it. All right. So I'll kick it off. 
Hello, friends. I, we're going to pray for different things. We want to bless you with whatever we sense God doing. So I personally have had a, the coolest things happen where people's knees have been healed when I've prayed for them. 100% success rate so far. So if you need healing in your knees, I'd like you to stand. Something? All right. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I speak to every body right here that you created. And, Lord, I prophesy to, the bod- to this body, to the knees. I prophesy to you ligaments. I prophesy to you cartilage. I prophesy to you every detail of the knee that must be there, uh, bone pieces, scar tissue. I prophesy be made whole now in Jesus' name. Total and complete restoration. Not a little bit, not tomorrow. Right now. Pain go. Right now. Inflammation go. Right now. Every infirmity in the knees. Leave the knees completely and total healing to come. And now just move your knee. If if it was moving, if it was whatever it was, and if you feel a little something, Lord, intensify it. Put your anointing on it, Lord. Put your anointing on those knees. Totally healed. Knee, be healed. Be totally formed. Everything missing, be totally formed. Now, in the name of Jesus. Now pull on that and keep receiving your miracle. And if you couldn't do something, do it right now. Squat. I don't know. What do you do with your knees? Jump. I don't know. Do something with your knees. Amen. Hallelujah. Next. Amen. I just want to ask all the millennials to stand up. If you don't know what a million is between the ages of 18 and 34, I want us to stand up because in this conference, we learned that we're moving away from the individualism in ministry and we're connecting and setting a model where we will work together. And I believe as Dr. Tim, when he, he preached, he said that we're going to introduce a wave and for a wave to move forward, there must be connectivity. So we're going to pray as a generation that we're, we're coming to our fathers like Bishop Hammond and Apostle Tom. And we're saying that we are connecting. We are moving away from the one-man ministry, from the superstar ministry. And we're connecting as a generation. And we're saying we're coming under the covering of a father. And we're saying we are not bastards. We are not rejected. We are not forgotten. But we are forming covenant with the generations that has gone before us. And we're saying as millennials now, we break the curse. We reverse every word that was spoken that said we will fail, that we will amount to nothing. And we said we are releasing that Davidic anointing that David just mentioned. And we're saying we are now sons and daughters. We are now sons and daughters. We break the curse in Jesus' name. I feel God wanting to be able to release a new prophetic vocabulary. If you need and you cannot find the words to communicate what God is saying to the young generation, you feel a little bit stuck and you're not sure how, God wants to give you a new vocabulary to communicate with this generation. If you want it, please stand. Father, I decree and declare you're releasing words that are not just words, but they are arrows to a heart of a generation. So, Father, I release the new vocabulary. I release the new words. I release the new phrases. And, Father, I say that they will speak with your heart. They will speak with your mind. And, Father, we just release that. We speak it into them now in Jesus' name. Just remain standing here for a minute. If you're 100 years or younger, keep standing up, all you young people in here. 
For those of you that don't know, there's a launch that's happened within CI called the Reach Initiative, and it's all about taking what's happened within the midst of Christian International and us coming together from generation to generation to say that what God did in one generation is not just going to continue and take root in our generation, but it's going to continue in generation to generation after us. So lift your hands if you want to be a part of seeing this movement continue through the generations. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I declare right now that even as David just said, that it's simple sometimes as having the vocabulary and the words to begin to communicate. But Lord, I want to say now, begin to birth the heart on the inside of us that gives us the words to begin to convey it to one another. Lord, even when there's been prejudice between the generations, Lord, where those of us that have been young, that we've looked at those that are older, and we've had opinions, and we've caused divisions, and we've said we want to do it a certain way. Lord, even now we just repent and say that supernaturally we begin to link arms and say Jesus is not just about one generation or the other, but it's about you and it's about what you want to have happen in the generations in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. So um, as I was praying for the reach, this, this whole thing here that God is doing, um, the Lord gave me a vision. And I saw, I saw a train that came down from heaven and the top of the train looked like something that was gonna bulldoze some things. And I saw the mechanics of the, of the train and it was something I'd never seen before. And the Lord told me this. He said that the mechanics of this engine is the, gener is the millennial generation, the generation X and the generation Z. And I saw the older, I saw an older man come to the engine and began to um, oil the knobs and oil the inner part of it. And the Lord spoke to me and said this, is that those that have gone before are coming to engine to, to come and oil the, that this generation. I'm just, I just want to encourage you that we need you. We need the wisdom. We need what you've gone through. We need the stories. We need the connection. We need it because it's going to fuel us to bulldoze through some things in this in this next season that God has us in and then I saw that I saw the fire of heaven hit this thing and this thing began to woof and I heard the traction of it I heard the traction of it and so I just if you guys we're gonna have you stand so if awesome. <laughs> we're gonna have you stand I just want to pray I want to pray that God would begin to to that you would begin to hear the sound of heaven that you would begin to hear the sound of the traction that that God is going to begin to bulldoze through this generation that there's a group of young people in your churches there are groups there are there are pockets of of kids there's pockets of of young millennials that are in around you and I'm asking God to give you a vision of this machine to give you a vision a vision of their potential to give you a vision of what God is saying and what is imparting so you know how to clean that you know how to oil that you know how to impart and so father right now in the name of Jesus God father we release the sound of heaven Lord God father we release right now in the name of Jesus God the words we release the heart God we release what the wisdom Lord God that is needed for our generation God let it be stirred up God let the fire begin to fall from heaven let the wind blow we prophesy to the wind again let it let it come forth let it 
fall from heaven, God, and touch them. Lord, give them energy. Let them run with us in this season, Lord God, like never before. And I thank you for it, Lord. I believe the Lord wants to change our perception of glory. And I want all of you to take a minute and look at each other and look at us. I want you to know that we are his glory on display. Sorry, I'm really passionate about this. If you were here for worship tonight and you heard all of the voices without the instruments, without the worship team singing, we are the city of God. We are the new movement. If you wanna know what his plan is, it's us. It's all of us, we don't need a building. We don't even need a stage. We don't need instruments. We need us, we need our voices, we need our ears, we need each other. And I believe that God is changing our perception of his glory. So I know you're sitting down and standing up, so just hang with me, all right? We can do this, Bishop has trained us well. I wanna read Psalms 127.3 to you from the Message Bible. Don't you see that children are God's best gift? The fruit of the womb are his generous legacy. Like a warrior's fistful of arrows are the children of a vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents when your quivers are full of children. Your enemies won't stand a chance against you and you'll sweep them right off your doorstep. We are going through an open door. Right now, I wanna pray over you. If there's been a spirit of barrenness in your ministry or in your family, I want you to just raise your hand. See, I, I decree and declare, you are no longer barren, but you will reproduce and you will be prolific in all things. Fathers and mothers, you will reproduce and you will not fail when you see your enemy at the gate and when you see him at the door because you will reproduce and your quiver will be full of arrows. We are in it to win it. We are in it to win it. Launch us, launch us, launch us. You made us. We know who we come from. Launch those arrows, launch those arrows. We are ready to win. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, and we know that God is raising up an army and so right now I release an Acts 17, 17, 6 grace to raise up a youth and young adult army that would turn cities upside down with this gospel of the kingdom. And so if you will lift your hands, God, right now we release and we activate an anointing to harvest this generation and to raise up the army of the Lord from children to youth to young adults that the ranks of the army of the Lord will be filled and that we will see the cities in this nation have an Acts 17, 6 encounter where they are turned upside down with this gospel of the kingdom. Hallelujah. Now, I'm a few years outside of the millennial generation, but they let me in anyway, so it's not an exclusive club and we're bridging generations anyway, right? All right. So, one of the worst feelings that you can have is regret. Who's ever had regret? Because you missed an opportunity, because you didn't go forward, because you didn't say yes. You didn't speak to that person, you didn't take the job, you didn't buy what the Lord told you to buy, and you missed out. 
who knows why we say that? It could be past experiences. It's things that we're fighting through. It's, there's reasons why we don't say yes. So if you want to break that off of your life, if you want that ability to say yes, I want you to put your hands on your hips, stick your chest out. It's called the superhero pose. All right, there's science behind it. Look it up if you don't believe me, all right? Chest out, hands up. And I'm going to say, Father, right now, give us that boldness. Give us the tenacity of a badger to go after the things that you've called us to, to go speak to the CEOs, even though we don't feel like we're welcome, even though we don't feel like we're worthy or we have the influence. We thank you, Father. And now we say yes. 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 We will never say no again. We will never say, I wish I would have, I wish I could have, I wish I did. Because now, along with the I am, we will look back and say, I did. I, I feel like the Lord is saying it's time for this generation to come out of hiding. Hiding behind our excuses, behind our opinions, our offenses. <clears throat> Excuse me. But hiding behind our fear and the lies that we are not qualified. And I break that over everybody, especially in my generation. It's time to come forth. It's time to take a stand. It's time to move and find your position in the army of God. It's time to step forward. So if everybody, I know we're just, we're making you guys move tonight. If everybody can just march in place, like you're in the army of God, and you're taking your stance, and you're taking your position, and you are rising up and taking that dominion that belongs to you. No more hiding, no more fear, and no more nasty opinions that you think you're right, and that everyone else is doing it wrong. We are here together. We are an army together. No more division. And I thank you, God, for just rising up my generation and speaking into their lives tonight that they will no longer feel inadequate. They will no longer feel like they are not qualified because you are called to the army of God no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, that my generation will rise. The sons of Issachar understand the times and season, but the sons of God manifest the times and season. We have been able to hear the voice of God. Now it's time to demonstrate what the voice is saying. Let's lift your hands. We are declaring a greater activation of miracles, signs, and wonders will be released in the midst of us. Even now, we decree and declare that there will be a release of greater miracles, creative miracles, signs and wonders. We declare the fear to step out where reason and logic hinder us. We declare we are pressing through the door for miracles, signs and wonders. Come on, declare miracles, signs and wonders. One more time, miracles. Sign and wonders. So Lord, right now, I just declare where people have been weary, 
where they've been tired. God, where they've been in the fight for a long time. I declare tonight the second wind of the prophetic to begin to blow tonight, Lord, and bring a refreshing and bring a restrengthening right now. I declare, let the prophetic fire begin to burn again. Let it begin to burn. Let it begin to descend, Father. Awaken our hearts in a new way like never before. God, I ask for greater words of knowledge. I ask for greater words of wisdom. Let there be a fresh wind. Let the army begin to arise in their strength right now, demonstrating the kingdom of God, manifesting the prophetic. God, I declare, release the fresh prophetic mantle now in Jesus' name. Earlier this week in the conference, God gave me this vision, and it was of us traveling to this place that God had promised us, and to this, this, this treasure that he has promised us. But instead of going forward into it, it grew around us, an oasis grew around us in the middle of the desert. And it wasn't that there was a flood of water that came in, but what I kept seeing was just a flood of God's breath, just this wind that came in and caused a growth because everything else was in place, but there was just this fresh wind that came in and caused a growth. And what I hear God saying is I'm doing new things, but I'm doing them in new ways. So if you expect the old ways to get the new things done, then you will miss it. And you have to be prepared for my wind to blow through and bring a new life to the things that have been planted, the things that have been watered, and the things that are waiting to come alive. So right now, Lord, we release the expectation, Lord, that you're going to come and you're going to breathe a new life, a fresh life on the inside of us, God, and that you're going to breathe a fresh life on the things that we've been sowing into, Lord, that we know that it's not dead seed. It's not an inadequate ground. Lord, you only have good soil. God, we declare, we decree the expectation that the things that you breathe on will come to pass. God, breathe on it one more time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Christian International's Teaching of the Week. For more information on conferences, training intensives, and other resources to help make a powerful difference, please visit our website at christianinternational.com.